It's Friday. Let's party. What's happening, everybody? Getting you ready for the weekend. Mike Steely here in the Brown O'Haver Studios on a Friday. Connor Pasby running the show for us again today. Parker is on location. We got a lot of things going on. Uh, maybe some big news coming again for Oklahoma on the recruiting front. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Tiger is done at St. Andrews, 78-75, plus nine. Missed the cut. Got emotional walking uh, uh, up the 18th fairway after uh, crossing the Swilkin Bridge and uh, tipping his cap and kind of lowered his cap and uh, covered his eyes. Uh, he was getting emotional, thinking that probably will be his last competitive round at St. Andrews. Says he'll be back for more Open Championships, but I think he knows that uh, that was his last chance at St. Andrews. Uh, new Hoops Arena, new basketball arena in Oklahoma City. We may get into that a little bit later on, but mainly college football again today. Parker, tell us where you are today. Well, just still out on the road, nowhere in particular, Mike, but uh, just figured uh, take an extra remote day today with so much travel as of late, particularly surrounding Big 12 Media Day. So I'll be back in the studio with you on Monday, and we'll get rolling once again. Uh, But, yeah, still out and about, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, right off the top there. Uh, there are there are things happening in the world of recruiting for the University of Oklahoma, and uh, I would think by the time I do get back to the office Monday, we will have some tangible news to discuss. Yeah, it, it looks that way, and I know we'll talk about Dalen Smothers' commitment. That was expected yesterday. That's huge for Oklahoma, four-star running back. Even with the commitment of Smothers, as you said yesterday, Oklahoma is still number 11 nationally in the 247 team rankings, but they're still moving on up, and are are we we looking at, I know our man Rufus Alexander, who's been on the show, a uh, friend of mine and just a great former Sooner, good dude, uh, now working with Brent, obviously, and uh, consulting there, uh, doing a lot of stuff uh, behind the scenes for OU, tweeted out a lock uh, earlier today. Are we looking at, is it Lewis Carter, the four-star linebacker out of Tampa? I, I'm not going to confirm or deny that, Mike, but I will say this, Lewis Carter, uh, right now is at the future 50 in Florida as an alternate and things are very, very solidly moving in Oklahoma's direction in that recruitment. They have been for some time. Lewis Carr is a kid we've talked about. You know, it's, it's appeared for a while that his top three were OU, North Carolina, and Auburn. Obviously, uh, it is a situation down there on the Plains, and there's no guarantee that that Auburn staff is still in place by the end of the season or even by midseason. And in general, North Carolina, especially for a young linebacker, uh, just can't offer nearly as much as the University of Oklahoma can, particularly with Brent Venables as head coach. So uh, things have been trending in OU's direction for quite some time in the recruitment of Lewis Carter, but uh, things are beginning to trend all the more heavily in recent days, if I can put it that way. Yeah, and uh, he he had a graphic out, you know, he tweeted out and he put it on Insta, his final schools in Oklahoma obviously was in there. Georgia was in there, as you mentioned, Auburn, uh, North Carolina, and some others. So this would be another great get for Oklahoma, and the Sooners have a ton of recruiting momentum. We were talking about when Arch Manning committed to Texas, Arch Mania kind of took over that class for a couple weeks, and uh, the Sooners again, uh, Sooner fans in particular, were looking at, man, Texas is getting four and five stars, and uh, certainly that's a snowball going downhill pretty quickly right now. But guess who has the momentum right now? It's Oklahoma, and it looks like it's going to continue for a couple weeks, uh, maybe longer. Mike, 
the month of July is far from over. And it's what well, it's the 15th of the month right now. So in effect, we're halfway through July. Uh, I, I think by the end of it all, my guts and my instinct would tell me that the Sooners will have double digit commits in July alone by the time it's all said and done. So, uh, you think back to what they had at the end of June. They had nine commits at that point. Samuel Masigo was a day away from being a July commit, but he pledged on June 30th. Uh, thus far, I think we're up to six, five, six. I'm, I'm starting to lose track. That's that's a great thing. I think it's Mike, six with Smothers now, having... isn't it, in July, oh. I think? Phil Picciotti, Jaquay's Petaway, Green Howland, P.J., Smothers. So, yes, six. Okay, so and uh, so Lewis Carter, the Sooners are feeling good there on the four-star linebacker out of Tampa, Florida. Feeling good about uh, the possibility of uh, getting commitments from uh, Derek LeBlanc on July 28th and Jacoby Johnson by the end of the month. Would that be – would there be another name out there that Oklahoma's feeling about that also could commit and join that list? And I know you're not saying it's 100% on Lewis Carter right now, but the Sooners feel good about that situation. Any other outliers out there in the month of July? There are some, and I don't, I don't say that they're going to get one more because I know exactly who that one more is going to be. I simply say because there are so many possibilities. Let's say they lock down a pledge from Lewis Carter by the end of the month. So let's say – Let's posit that in addition to the six that they have, they get Lewis Carter, they get Derek LeBlanc, they get Jacoby Johnson by the end of the month of July. There are several players that are visiting at the end of the month that could be in play for Oklahoma and that could just elect to shut it down. I think of somebody like Makari Vickers, who's said that uh, he's waiting to announce until the end of August, but has also not set any additional visits beyond that July 29th date. Uh, at Oklahoma so that could be the type of thing where he wants to surprise everybody you know he wants to get up there uh, take that final visit maybe commit on campus I'm not saying that definitely happens but what I am saying is when you look at that visitor list here at the end of the month and it is an extensive one heck there's a decent chance that 10th commit if there is one in addition to Carter LeBlanc and Johnson hypothetically speaking there's a chance that 10th commit is a 2024 guy that's very much on the table as well. So I think things are uh, – the train is moving fast enough right now for Brent Venables and the Sooners that there are so many guys across the board right now when you look at that visitor list at the end of the month. A uh, whole bunch of dudes could elect to pull the trigger by the time July's up. And again, yesterday, as expected, Dalen Smothers, four-star running back out of Charlotte, North Carolina, committing to Oklahoma. No surprise there. He did pick up the Bama hat for a second, but, you know, playing a little shell game there. Uh, and uh, ended up, you know, putting the Sooner cap on, and everybody thought that was going to be the case, and it turned out to be the case yesterday. So uh, you know all about this kid. I'm sure you've seen the highlights. What kind of a back is Oklahoma getting in Dalen Smothers? Yeah, so Dalen Smothers, I think with him and Caleb Hicks, you get two guys that complement each other very well, much like you get with Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes in the class of 2022. And I think that's one of the things that stands out about DeMarco Murray and his recruiting philosophy thus far. Not only is he looking for talent, but he's looking for talent that complements itself. He's looking for backs that complement each other. I think Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes do that very well, and I think when you look at the skill sets of two guys, 
uh, in Caleb Hicks and Dalen Smothers that are going to be the Sooners' two takes at the running back position in this class. There's a lot to like about how they pair up. In Smothers, you're talking about a massively productive guy uh, who has been the North Carolina football player of the year for each of the last two seasons. Uh, The speed definitely stands out. He can break away. He's got burst. Uh, One of the things that uh, we discussed when I was on the phone with him doing the interview before his announcement was, uh, man, he's looking forward to being an all-purpose back in Oklahoma's offense, being a guy that can make plays out of the backfield as a pass catcher. So I think his versatility as well as his elusiveness and his just straight-up downfield straight-line speed is what really gets you excited about Dalen Smothers. He's a complete back and one that could see the field pretty early on for Oklahoma if things break his way uh, and he shows up in the right shape and in the right mindset to be able to compete. And you're looking at last year, Oklahoma felt really good uh, with who they got, obviously, at running back with Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck. And then you add to the mix, Dalen Smothers and Caleb Hicks. Uh, the Sooners looking pretty good in that department uh, for the foreseeable future. So, again, a lot going well for Oklahoma in recruiting right now. There is no doubt about that. And uh, here, you know, we talk so much about this philosophy that uh, Brent has had, which is, hey, you know, if you, we don't want you to commit to us unless you're totally committed. If you commit to us, no other visits. That's the way we're going about it. You've got to be totally committed. None of this Johnny Gigolo stuff, right? Uh, so that has worked out. Uh, the patience has paid off. July has been big. Looks like it's going to get bigger. Maybe some of that momentum carries into August. So with that philosophy that Brent Venables has utilized here, uh, and the same way they were doing things at Clemson, and Clemson is recruited obviously very well. Uh, so, like, what would you put the number of decommitments at? What would you set the over and under at uh, before the December signing period, the way that this OU staff and Brent Venables, obviously in particular, have approached recruiting and the way they've gone about it? Like, one and a half? I mean, 0.5 is honestly what I would set the over under at because I'm not convinced there's going to be one. Yeah, I don't think there will be one, to be quite honest. And, and this is this is awesome. something we've talked about quite a bit over the last week, week and a half. It really does seem like everybody's 100% bought in. I think what helps seal the deal in my eyes, and part of the reason I'm so confident this whole class stays together, is most of these guys, if not all of them, uh, waited until they took all the official visits that they wanted to take before they decided on Oklahoma. And it's like we've been saying this for months, Mike. The philosophy that Brent Venables espouses is going to pay off in the long run, maybe not when people want it to in April and May, but once those players take their official visits in the months of June, or in the months of May and June, excuse me, and we roll back around to July and they're ready to make a decision, they're going to know with 100% certainty where they want to go. They're not going to decide further down the line, I wish I would have checked out this school, or I need to go uh, give this program a look before I put my pen on the dotted line on signing day. No, this is Brent Venables and his staff have played their cards exactly the way they wanted to and exactly the way that they knew they could based on their experience at Clemson with this same philosophy. When you take this approach, 
and you tell guys, listen, we are not going to take your commitment until you are 110% sure you want to come here and you are willing to completely shut it down and not take any more visits, you're not going to have many, if any, decommitments down the stretch. Because at that point, guys, are they're not going to think they want to be at Oklahoma. They're going to know that they want to be at Oklahoma. Yeah, no doubt, and uh, you've got to feel really good about that. And I don't know if you can, get, you know, uh, get one hundred percent of all these guys who committed right now and who will commit to make it to the December signing period and uh, end up, you know, signing on the dotted line. But it, there certainly looks like there's a very realistic possibility that that could happen. No doubt about it. All right, our first hour presented as always by Lasher Home Comfort Systems, family owned and operated servicing the greater Oklahoma City area since 2007. You need AC work done right now. A lot of people still maybe need that tune-up because we've still got some hot days ahead. I mean, I'm not even looking at the forecast these days. It's too depressing. I mean, it is just – I start sweating if I look at the forecast. But uh, Tim Lasher and his great company, they'll get the work done for you. Call them up at 405-579-3113. That's 405-579-3113. All right, Brandon Drum coming up at 135 today. Uh, Mike Steele, Connor Pasby here in the Brown O'Haver Studios on the road, as he always seems to be the one and only Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune here at noon. When we get back – We'll hear uh, from Brad Vittables from yesterday, also from Dylan Gabriel. That's coming up next here on The Ref. Friday here on uh, Steel Man and Thune on the home of Sooner fans, The Ref Radio Network. Good to have you with us. We will be headed to the Air Comfort Solutions text line here in a couple minutes. Keep those texts rolling in, 405-651-3439. That's 405-651-3439. Connor Pasby running the show for us today. Uh, and, again, we got Parker out on the road again. Uh, you know, he needs Willie Nelson's uh, on the road again as his theme music. Because he's on the road quite a bit. Brandon Drum coming up. 247 Sports OU Insider at 135 today here on the program. All right. Uh, audio from yesterday at Big 12 Media Days. Here is what Brent Vittable said uh, when he was asked about expectations for the Sooner season. And here is the Sooner head coach. We all have been, again, diligently uh, putting calluses on those hands and, and working hard to um, develop an identity. And, and again, that will continue to be established. My expectation as we begin our, our year and a true measure of success, and I've got lots of ways to measure success, but one of the most important measures of success is all right, where we start August 4th and where do we end okay, the last week of November. All right, And my expectation is improvement. All right, better than when we started. And, and some of it will be incremental, and, and some of it won't be noticeable to the naked eye. And then some of it, hopefully, um, it will be incredibly transparent. And um, so that's when you know you're doing things the right way, that you're, you're better uh, at the end than when you start. It's pretty simple. There you go. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect say, oh, yeah, well, we're going to go, uh, you know, we're going to win, you know, the Big 12. He's – I don't think somebody said, well, it sounded to me like when Venable said that, he was uh, tamping down expectations somewhat. And, I, you know, I don't, I didn't hear that. I just think that he's being ris- realistic that they have lost a lot of guys uh, in that locker room and they've gained some really what we think are going to be really good players, uh, no doubt, through the portal and guys that uh, are coming back who've been injured, Theo Weiss, guys like that. So I think they're going to win at 10 games this season and possibly more. But I, I certainly didn't hear any downplaying of expectations. Did you? 
I mean, look, I I had the chance to talk to Brent for close to twenty minutes yesterday. With, with actually, it was, it was funny because you know what twenty minutes gets you with Brent Venables. I ended up asking him two questions, right? Uh, and he just he just goes, man. Uh, but it, it it's awesome because you know he'll just he'll lay it all out there for you, and it's a hundred percent transparent and it's real. And one of the things I asked him was about, you know, I I kind of asked him about the expectations that this team is having placed upon them by the national media in particular. And I, I asked him straight up, look, the way that a lot of people on the outside see this, new head coach, two new coordinators, new quarterback, plenty of new transfers, how good can this team realistically be in 2022? And uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but Brent was just basically like, good, let him talk. Let him talk because it doesn't matter what they say. If you're focused on the noise, then you can't be focused on the task at hand. So, in Brent Venable's mind, you know, it, he he couldn't care less what the rest of the country is saying about him and this football team heading into the 2022 season. Uh, I I asked pretty much the same question to Ethan Downs, to Woody Washington, to Dylan Gabriel. Look, there is a lot of confidence in this locker room surrounding what this Oklahoma football team can be in 2022. And I think the thing that stood out to me the most was when we had Ethan Downs on live yesterday on the very first segment of Locked In in the 2 o'clock hour. He said, there is more chemistry in this locker room than there has ever been before. And then he quickly followed it up by saying, I, I say that, and I've only been here two years, but when, you, when you're talking about the comparison between last season and this season with regard to the Oklahoma football team, that is the one thing that... I, it it tickles your ears a little bit, doesn't it? Because, yeah, Ethan Downs has only been there two seasons, mm-hmm. but to hear how stark of a discrepancy there is between the level of team chemistry that there was present in 2021 versus what there already is even before fall campus started in 2022, that gets you real excited, Mike. No doubt. And, look, I'm not a preseason rankings guy. I'm not a preseason All-American team or All-Big 12 team guy. But it is surprising when you're talking about Oklahoma, which uh, before last year had won six straight conference championships. And uh, if Mule Shoe had been uh, locked in and the Sooners had gotten a call, it might have been seven in a row. You never know. Emil Shue was not locked in except to his own uh, personal interests, and that's it, because that's what selfish people do, particularly liars. But other than that, uh, I, I did it did catch my eye that there was only one Sooner on the preseason All-Big 12 team. Again, I know that doesn't mean anything, but it does open your eyes up because usually Oklahoma leads the way in that department. And to only have Michael Turk on that, for, uh, you know, the all Big 12 preseason team was somewhat surprising. Dylan Gabriel was asked about, you know, people maybe not giving uh, the Sooner team as much respect as they they have uh, previous Sooner teams. And Gabriel said, you know what, he's not worried about that or any lack of Sooners on the all Big 12 preseason team. Whatever it is, is, it's preseason. You still got to go out there and earn it every single week, you know. Um, That's why we play the game, you know, for to, to find out who wins, who loses. And I think every single day, no matter what, you know, preseason, whatever it is, still got to look yourself in the mirror every single day, you know, and continue to find ways to, you know, get better and work out skills and drills, you know, in the film room, whatever it is. So I think the amount of growth is what really stood out. And, um, you know, seeing where we were in January, seeing where we are in July and seeing where we're going to be in three weeks, you know, going into fall camp. Um, 
it's just been it's been an amazing ride, amazing journey, and just consistently finding ways to get better every single day um, is going to be really important leading into fall camp. There you go, Dylan Gabriel. I thought he was super uh, impressive, very composed, very uh, articulate up there on the podium meeting the media the other day in Arlington. All right, let's get some uh, texts in on the Air Comfort Solution text line. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, 405-651-3439. Is the July commitment frenzy intentional? Were they asked to announce in July to create momentum? That coming from the 405. No. No, they were not asked to announce in July. Listen, listen, we've talked about this so many times, and I understand that I'd, not everybody has been listening all year, so I want to take that into account. I'm not trying to sound frustrated. But uh, we, we have hashed this out before. This was always when the surge was going to come for Oklahoma under the new recruiting philosophy that Venables and his staff have embraced. The surge was going to come in July and August after all these kids had the opportunity to take their official visits, have conversations with their families and those close to them, and make decisions. It will be this way every single year as long as Brent Venables is head coach. I can promise you that. The bulk of Oklahoma's commitments will come in June, July, and August, and there will be very few that come outside of those three months. And the reason that is is because for the kids that try to commit early, Venables and co. are going to tell them, hey, you better make absolutely sure. You better be 110% locked in. We'll take your commitment, but you better understand you're not visiting anywhere else. So a lot of those kids that would otherwise have committed early are instead going to wait till the summer months because they're going to have to. A lot of the kids that traditionally would wait until National Signing Day, look, for the most part, and there are exceptions to every rule, but Venables and his staff aren't going to play that game. Right? They're going to wait on DJ Hicks. Everybody's going to wait on DJ Hicks. DJ Hicks could be a generational talent. But if you have a four, like a mid-four-star kid, top 150, top 200 type of player, and you've got other guys at the position willing to jump in the boat and ready to commit, you're not going to wait with bated breath to find out what that kid's going to do in December or January if you can replace him with guys that are more eager to be Oklahoma Sooners in his position group. So I I think that going forward, there will be a lot less intrigue on National Signing Day in December and certainly National Signing Day in February than there has been in recent years for Oklahoma. And I would figure that two-thirds to three-fourths of Oklahoma's signing classes will come in those summer months, June, July, August. That's just how it's going to be. Yeah, we, we talked about this a long time ago when, uh, you know, when the Johnny Gigolo speech came out and that recruiting philosophy that the, it's more of a marathon than it is a sprint. And if you want to sprint out there and get a bunch of commitments and then you have those commitments, you know, not signing in, de, in the early signing period in December, you know, what what does it mean? Okay, it looked good on paper for a while, but you want those names on the dotted line. And that's why these sooner classes are just going to take more time, period. Uh, it's just logic. You know, if, if that is your philosophy of how you want 
uh, kids to commit to your school, and that's what Brent Venables has laid out there, then it's just going to be a slower process for Oklahoma. All right, good one, and we'll get to it uh, after the break, but I'll give you some time to ponder this one and uh, think about what you want to say. I know you, you're you ready, but uh, we do have to get to a break. But when we get back, good one from 470. When is OU going to land some interior D-line recruits? We will answer that, or Parker will, when we get back. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steelman, and Thune at noon here on a Friday edition. Home of Sooner fans, Ref Radio Network, heading into the weekend. We'll come back, more texts on the way, and we're going to hear from Tiger after missing the cut at the Open Championship. And we'll get into the Longhorns a little bit as well. That's coming up here on the program. Keep it here. Okay, back with you, Friday edition. Thank you to our uh, sponsor, Tim Lasher, Lasher Home Comfort Systems, for uh, bringing you hour number one here on Steel Man and Thune on this Friday. You can give them a call to get that AC tuned up right now. They've been servicing uh, folks in the Oklahoma City area now for 15 years, 405-579-3113. That's 405-579-3113. All right, the question was about uh, when the Sooners are going to get some interior defensive lineman in this class uh and uh let's let's get to that one that came in on the air cover solutions text line they're in a battle with bama right for the kid from uh tyler texas is that right that is correct so it's ou and alabama right now for jordan renaud the four star out of tyler legacy uh i'll say this though I, that one feels like at, at least right now it feels like one that is probably going to swing in Alabama's favor. Um, that is very subject to change, though. And as we've seen thus far in the month of July, uh, it's it's real hard to get to bet against Brent Venables and this staff at a certain point in time. Uh, can y'all wait till the twenty eighth? Do you think we can give it another two two weeks and revisit this conversation? Because uh, I do believe, at least at this point in time, that Derek LeBlanc is going to be a sooner and. That is a statement addition for Todd Bates and the Sooners, if that is the case. I will say this. There's a thought out there, and I'm not not saying I necessarily agree with this thought, but there's a thought out there that maybe P.J. Adabare becomes an inside guy at some point in time, or at least becomes the type of hybrid inside-outside guy that Isaiah Thomas was. I, I think in the long term, I can see a lot of Isaiah Thomas in P.J. Adabare if he's developed properly. Uh, both physically and in terms of technique. Uh, But if you're looking at what the rest of that interior defensive line class could look like, I'd put good money on Derek LeBlanc being a Sooner right now. As far as Jordan Renaud is considered, I'm not holding my breath on that one, but I am very willing to acknowledge that Oklahoma is in that thing more so than any other school. They are the lead challenger to Alabama in the race for his commitment. Uh, I... I got a feeling about Edric Hill, man. That that just seems like it's it seems like in the end it's going to be really really hard for that kid to say no to Oklahoma, and that has a lot to do with the fact that that's the offer he's wanted for a very very long time. Uh, his t- high school teammate is PJ Atabare, who's no doubt going to be pushing him towards Oklahoma now that he's committed, and he goes way way back with Caden Green, who alongside Josh Bates and Jackson Arnold is perhaps the most vociferous peer recruiter in this entire class right now for Oklahoma. So I I get the feeling that it's going to be tough for Edric Hill to end up anywhere other than Norman in the end. And he's got the Alabama offer. He took an official visit there in June. 
Alabama's probably the leader in the clubhouse at the moment, but Edrick's going to visit Oklahoma again two weeks from today, Friday the 29th. We'll see what happens, man. I, I, I got a feeling about that one. All right, also on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. we got a lot rolling in. We always appreciate you guys uh, just filling up the text line. It's unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see here. Mule Shoe is a clown. Love the show. Yes, uh, we, we concur. That's it. Just Mule Shoe is a clown face. Love the show. What Sometimes is, the best texts are the simplest Yeah, that's ones. exactly right. Straight to the point. It makes a very, very factual point that Mule Shoe is a clown. Thank you. What is the likelihood it's a one-and-done year for Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma? That comes from the 405. What do you think? Eh, 50-50. I'd say it's a 50-50 coin flip because I think a lot of it's going to depend on not necessarily how he performs this fall, but – how some of the other quarterbacks that are draft hopefuls fare this fall. And I'm not necessarily talking about guys like Spencer Rattler, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young. We know that unless the wheels fall off in spectacular fashion for those three guys, they're going to be firmly cemented atop the draft class come next February, March at the quarterback position. It's going to be real hard for those guys, uh, for their stock to tank substantially. I'm looking more at guys like Keaton Slovis at Pittsburgh, Will Levis at Kentucky, Jaden Daniels at LSU, guys that are on the fringe to a certain extent, guys that with a really, really good season could play their way into first-round draft territory, but guys that with a middling or below-average season could play themselves out of the not only the first day of the draft but the second day of the draft. So... I think a lot depends on how the dominoes fall at the quarterback position across the rest of the nation because I expect that Dylan Gabriel is going to be productive at Oklahoma. How productive? I'm not sure. But when you look at the fact that he has actually run Jeff Levy's offense, not just that he knows it, but he's actually run it at UCF, and you think about the tempo that Oklahoma is going to move at offensively, it's going to be hard for Dylan Gabriel not to put up numbers. Now, I don't know if that means 4,000 yards. I don't know if that means 5,000 yards. I don't know if that means 30 touchdown passes. I don't know if that means 50 touchdown passes. But regardless, you're going to see a statistically productive year from Dylan Gabriel. And because of the concerns about his size more than anything, he's only about five foot eleven. I think he is a guy that is very, very uh, subject to the winds of change in terms of his draft stock, and I think a lot of it has to do uh, with how guys that are on similar footing with him in terms of their draft stock at this point in time perform this fall. There you go. The winds have changed. I can hear the scorpions whistling right now in my ear. The minute you said that, that's what popped into my head. So uh, so there you go. All right, a few more and we'll get to a break. Is there a timeline for Carter or out of the blue? Somebody also asking Lewis Carter. Yeah, we talked about Lewis Carter in the first segment. Uh, is there a commitment happening Saturday for Oklahoma? So let's go Lewis Carter and uh, what you know about a possible timeline there. Yeah, I'll say this. 
Mike, I I will be surprised if we hit the air on Monday and Lewis Carter isn't a sooner. Yes, and Lewis Carter, four-star linebacker out of Tampa, Florida, would be another great get for Oklahoma. And maybe, uh, depending on what happens with Arkansas and Georgia and teams that are just ahead of Oklahoma, maybe that would put the Sooners in the top ten. They're closing in. They, they're gaining ground on Arkansas. And Arkansas has more commitments than Oklahoma. But this class continues to get better and better and better. And that average ranking is also you know growing. Every time you add another four-star, that's happening. And if the Sooners could put a five-star in there, uh, then it would be unbelievable. But uh, no question that this July momentum has been unbelievable for Oklahoma. And, again, Parker's talked about Derek LeBlanc and Jacoby Johnson. You throw Lewis Carter in the mix, and people are feeling good about that. Then, uh, again, you talk about fireworks in July, man. It's been uh, it's certainly been just that for Oklahoma in terms of building this class. All right, let's break a little bit early right here. Thank you to Tim Lasher, Lasher Home Comfort Systems, family-owned and operated, servicing the greater OKC area since 2007. They've done work for us at Shea Stadium. Shea's my wife. She's the CEO, so I call it Shea Stadium. And uh, they've done great work for us in the past. Call them up, 405-579-3113. All right, we'll break right here. Don't forget Brandon Drum coming up at 135. Keep the text coming on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, and we shall return right here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Friday, we're getting back to the text line here in a minute, 405-651-3439. Air Comfort Solutions text line always available to you. Uh, You can also call us up. We'll have Brandon Drum coming up later on the Riverwind Casino Hotline, 405-329-9000. Speaking of Riverwind, another great promotion, July. How about this one? Casting for cash. Now, what's that all about? Well, we're talking about the top five players who earn the highest number of points on specified e-game machines out at Riverwind are going to want a trip to the Florida Keys for a fishing excursion valued at nearly $5,500. Plus, you're going to get $2,000 in bonus play and $1,000 in cash. That's a heck of a price. And again, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five players are going to win this trip. You need to get out to Riverwind Casino. You play those specific e-game machines. I just walked in the uh, south entrance the other day, and boom, they're right there. They direct you on the floor. Some of the machines are right there as soon as you walk in the entrance. Play those machines. Accumulate the highest number of points. Be in the top five. You're going to win a trip to the Florida Keys for a great fishing trip. Plus, uh, you're going to get $2,000 in bonus play and $1,000 in cash. They will have Casting for Cash hot seats, by the way, every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. And every Saturday, so be thinking about tomorrow from noon until 5 p.m. So casting for cash, another great promotion from our friends over at Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Tiger has been the best in golf for a long time. He hasn't been recently, obviously, but uh, he had that number one uh, overall world golf ranking longer than anybody else and 15 major championships, still tied with uh, Sam Snead for 82 career PGA Tour victories. I think, and I love Jack too, but I, I still don't think that anybody's ever played the game at a higher level than Tiger. Jack's close, and I know he's more accomplished majors-wise, but I, I still think Tiger is the better player of the two, and it's really close, but I would go with Tiger. But Tiger, 78-75, two-time winner at St. Andrews, but missing the cut. He's nine over par, will not play the weekend at St. Andrews. An emotional Tiger... Walking over the Swilkin Bridge and walking up the 18th fairway, uh, got very emotional, kind of brought his hat down a little bit, covered his face. You could tell he was tearing up. 
Uh, and he talked about that experience again after round two today. This is Tiger on uh, getting to play St. Andrews again, but missing the cuts. Again, anytime you get the chance to come back and play the old course um, in the open, um, it's just it's just special. It really is. And as I uh, said to Tim, I've been lucky enough. I've been doing this since 1995. And... Uh, um, I, I don't know if I'll be physically able to, to play another British Open here at St. Andrews. I feel, certainly feel like I'll be able to play more British Opens, but I uh, don't know if I'll be able to around you know, uh, when it comes back around here. So um, the warmth and the ovation on, at 18, it, it, it got to me. Um, the players, uh, the nods I was getting as the players were going out, um, I looked over there and you know, Rory gave me a tip of the cap. JT did the same. Um, it, it just... There's just something to it that's just different. There you go. So Tiger, again, made the cut in his uh, first two majors coming back, which, again, I'm still shocked, actually, that he played in the first two majors of the year at Augusta and at Southern Hills in the PGA. Uh, And, again, at least I I would have never thought he would play in three of the majors this year. Uh, So, again, obviously didn't play in the U.S. Open, but uh, you can tell going back to the home of golf, the birthplace of the game where he had won twice. And he's talked about that being his favorite all-time course. And obviously he loves Augusta and Torrey Pines and Pebble Beach uh, and other courses as well. But St. Andrews is his number one. And I think with all the applause that he heard Again, from all the fans out there today and his fellow competitors stopping to tip the cap, as he just talked about, got to him. You know what I think we're seeing, Parker? Also, later in life, uh, after all the Tiger's been through, a lot of it caused by, uh, you know, him making stupid decisions, in my opinion, uh, when you try and separate the person from the golfer. But I think we're seeing a kinder, gentler Tiger Woods later in life. Not the old golf course, I'm going to rip your heart out on the course, and I'm totally focused on that. I mean, you talk about his friendship with Justin Thomas, and he just answers questions differently. He's kind of pausing to, uh, you know, at, at these tournaments to take in, you know, the fans more than he had in the past. And I, I think that happens as we get older, we reflect more. But I think we're seeing a different Tiger Woods with the fans in the media now, too. Yeah, no doubt, and I think that's one of those things that just comes with age, right? As as you get older and as your career reaches its twilight, we're there with Tiger Woods. We absolutely are. He's in the t- twilight of his career. Uh, but as that happens, you start to gain a deeper appreciation for the little things in life and yep. the little things about the game that you love. And uh, that's, that's the reason why walking up the 18th fairway at St. Andrews is definitely going to hit Tiger a little bit harder at this point in his life than it would have 20 years ago. So uh, it, it, it is a new Tiger that we're seeing ever since. Uh, well, I don't know if you can point to a specific date or time on the calendar at which Tiger flipped the switch from being that fiery competitor that he used to be to just being a very uh, mellow, reserved, uh, even keel guy, both on the golf course and off. But uh, it does kind of seem like he continues uh, to gain more and more appreciation for uh, just the opportunity to be back out there on the course. Another thing we have to remember, Mike, is that he was in an auto accident that just about ended his career and Mm -hmm. could have ended his life not more than two years ago. And so uh, when you get a second lease on – not only golf, but on life, the way that Tiger did in the aftermath of that accident. 
Uh, I, it, it, you almost expect to see this kind of thing, and uh, it's not completely. Um, I guess it, it it doesn't shock me that this is what we're seeing from Tiger, given all that he's been through in yeah. recent years. And again, I was surprised. Number one, that he played three of the four majors. I was also surprised that he made the cut in the first two. And I know, well, Tiger could play Augusta anytime and go around and be competitive, and he was for a little while. But based on man, you're right. He almost lost that leg, and as you said, he very easily could have uh, lost his life. And uh, Tiger again whether it was prescription medication or whatever, you know, when he was arrested there in, in uh, Florida and had the mug shot, I think that turned things around a little bit. I'm not sure what happened with the accident out in L.A. after Genesis Invitational, but he's been very fortunate in many ways. And, uh, I, you know, I think his goal initially coming back from that accident was just to be able to get out and play golf with Charlie, you know, and that certainly wasn't a given. But the one thing we know about Tiger is he'll put, put the work in, the rehab work and all of that. But, again, after 78, 75, you will not see Tiger playing the weekend. Uh, and real quickly, as we're up against the uh, top of the hour, Cameron Smith leads at the Open Championship, 13 under par, uh, finished his round today, a round of 67. It's a battle of Camerons right now. Cameron Young, also a uh, former Wake Forest star, uh, U.S. player at 10 under par. Rory, a uh, big round for him today. Huge round for Rory McIlroy to back up what he did yesterday. Rory is tied for second with Cameron Young at 10 under par. He is through 12 holes today. DJ, Dustin Johnson, played early this morning. He is at 9 under par. That's what's happening right now at the Open Championship at St. Andrews. Okay, coming up in our uh, second hour, our Friday conversation with Brandon Drum. That will be on the way next hour, 247sports.ouinsider.com. Again, the Sooners, the momentum in July looks like it just is going to continue for Oklahoma. Uh, And we'll talk to Brandon about that. Uh, Lewis Carter. Uh, strong possibility that's happening soon. Four-star linebacker out of Tampa, Florida. And uh, Derek LeBlanc, Parker's talked about that. And uh, Jacoby Johnson, uh, a strong possibility by the end of the month as well. All right, we're up against the top of the hour. And uh, Tim Lasher and Lasher Home Comfort Systems, thank you for the first hour. And uh, we'll be right back here on The Ref. All right, uh, the second hour brought to you by our friends at the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley, America. Exit 72, call your audible, looking for a vehicle. Exit 72, Blue 72. Paul's Valley is the place to be, the Seth Wadley Auto Group. Great selection. Used vehicles, everybody's looking for those right now. They've got a great selection as well. Cars, trucks, SUVs, and, of course, the great guarantee of oil changes and engines for life on new or used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. All right, uh, this is the home of Sooner fans, but I want to start out this segment. We've got Brandon Drum coming up at 135 on the Riverwind Casino hotline at 405-329-9000. Uh, so we'll jump into more recruiting. Somebody's asking about Jordan Renaud again. We just talked about that. That's why you have to be here at noon. You've got to be here at noon. There are no excuses. Make a commitment. You know what Brent Venables is asking of his players? Be here at noon. You would know about Jordan Renaud. You would know about Lewis Carter. You would know about Jacoby Johnson. You would know about Derek LeBlanc, Dalen Smothers, all of them. So be here at noon. We expect you here, okay? It's like a team meeting. You, me, Parker, Connor, whoever's with us, that's your obligation, all right? You're going to have to run stadium steps after this broadcast.
All right, but I want to start out our second hour talking about the Longhorns. Longhorn Nation, we're back. All right, the uh, Longhorn contingent was there yesterday as well. A sterling opening season for Steve Sarkeesian. Five and seven, home loss to Kansas. Gia the Monkey, the Pole Assassin. More boosters out on the field, uh, you know, that kind of thing. You know how it goes in Austin City Limits. But now, of course, Texas fans are all fired up. All these preseason prognosticators always overrate Texas every single year. Thinking, well, at some point, they've got to break through, right? Well, we'll see. I thought this was an interesting quote, Parker, and we'll talk about it afterwards. Steve Sarkeesian saying yesterday to the media he wasn't happy uh, overall with the job he did last year. I didn't think I did a great job a year ago of developing the team and the quality of team and the bond on our team as well as I would have liked. And, and granted, we had some difficult circumstances um, with you know, not having a facility done yet and being kind of in temporary housing to just not making a great connection to um, ultimately not identifying the leadership in a, in a really good way. Um, and so it's been a huge point of emphasis of ours in January all the way through now of bonding as a team and becoming a team and becoming accountable to one another and relying on one another. All right, maybe a little bit of coach speak there, but uh, Sark basically saying, yeah, I guess I didn't bring this team together. I thought, you know, maybe we could do that, but it didn't happen last year. It was a disaster of a season for Texas. And I'm one of those who thought, you know, Sarkeesian might end up being a good hire. And the story is still being written there, but Chapter 1 was a complete catastrophe. Parker, you were there yesterday. What did you hear and uh, what did you make out of what Sark had to say and some of the uh, Texas players? Yeah, look, I mean, Sark says all the right things. He does. He's very good in front of a microphone. you got to give the guy his due in that regard. I'll say this, though. I was blown away. Very, very impressed honestly, with the performance that Sark gave in front of the microphone last year at Big 12 Media Days and uh, what happened once the team actually hit the field, Mike. You said it. 5-7, and seven, G of the Monkey, the Pole Assassin, lost to Kansas at home, etc., etc. So I, I, I've seen too much to ever start counting on the fact that uh, you're going to be able to prognosticate a team's degree of success on the football field by how their coach speaks or how he handles himself at big 12 media days i'm not i am never going to drink the kool-aid on any team just based on quotes and hype from their head coach at media days but uh i i i have to acknowledge this mike and i feel like most everybody has to acknowledge this it's going to be very hard for texas not to improve this season now what does that improvement look like? Does it look like seven wins? Does it look like ten wins? Because either way, that's an improvement. But if you double your win total from a year ago, then people, I, I would say people are satisfied at that point down on the 40 acres. If you win seven games, sure, it's a step up, but 
nobody's all too thrilled. And with as much talent as they have, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, it's reasonable to expect uh, that they should not only have a winning record, but they should win a substantial amount of football games. I don't know whether that happens. And as we have said time and time again throughout the offseason, and as I will continue to posit, I am not going to predict that Texas is quote-unquote back until I see it with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, they are going to have to show me that they're back before I will predict that they're back. Here is the road to a great season for Texas, and I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I would look at Texas at probably around 8-4 and four, uh, in that range. But if somehow they could win that game against Bama, which I do not think is going to happen, but if somehow they could pull that off, they would roll into the Cotton Bowl uh, at 5-0 and oh because they've got Louisiana in a row, then they have Bama at home, uh, they play Texas-San Antonio, uh, they go to Tech, and then they play West Virginia at home before they go to the Cotton Bowl. If somehow, though, they could win that Bama game, and their only road game before they get to the Cotton Bowl is in Lubbock, and if Texas plays up to par, which is always a big question mark, they should be able to get that one done. But if you could somehow take down the Tide and then win in the Cotton Bowl against OU, then you're looking at what could be an incredible season for Texas. But again, that's very iffy. Uh, I'm not sure what the early line would be, but it would, you know, but that LSU team that rolled in there, the Joe Burrow team, Texas was right there. How competitive do you think Texas will be with Bama in that game in week two in Austin? I I don't see how they keep it close, Mike. I really don't. I'm not necessarily saying that as a knock on Texas. I just think Alabama's going to be that good this year. Like, I don't know if anybody hangs with that team in the regular season. You get to the postseason, you get to the SEC championship game, you get to the college football playoff, all bets are off, right? But over the course of the regular season, man, with as much talent and as much depth as they have on both sides of the football, gosh, it's going to be hard for anybody, especially Texas, to hang with the Crimson Tide. I just don't see it. I think that's a three-score game minimum. Yeah, and that's a rooster kickoff on Fox uh, at DKR again, uh, week two of the season, Saturday, September 10th. Man, I look, I don't know if it would make a huge difference. I'd rather have a rowdy nighttime crowd there. And, look, they're going to roll out, and uh, every seat will probably be filled with Alabama coming to town. But, man, I don't know. The, ro- the early roosters are uh, – and I understand for big noon kickoff, that's a huge one, particularly with Texas moving into the SEC. But, man, I, if I'm uh, the Horns, I'd much rather play that game at night. I don't think it's going to make any difference, though. All right, Steve Sarkeesian was also asked yesterday, who is going to start under center for Texas? We have a, a unique luxury of having Hudson Card, Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy. Um, th- those guys are all quality players. And, the beauty of the summer is we've been around these guys all summer long and been able to been on the field with them with skill development to see some of the growth that they could make from spring ball into summer. So, no, we haven't made a decision yet, Cedric, but um, I don't think it'll take quite as long as maybe last fall took us. Um, we'll see. You know, time will tell. Um, but, but I've been really impressed with both these guys in Hudson and Quinn and the work that they've done to prepare themselves, and I think they've earned a lot of respect from their teammates. 
And it's expected that Quinn Ewers will be the starter, right? I mean, if he can't beat out Hudson Card, and I know Hudson Card was a four-star or whatever, right? But that would that would be a little bit of indictment of, uh, you know, Quinn Ewers, who's really good at getting NIL money, but we didn't see much of him. I think he threw like four passes at Ohio State. But surely Quinn Ewers is going to be taking the snaps at Texas. Right. You'd think so. And this kinda it kinda feels like exactly where we were a year ago when everybody knew that Casey Thompson was the better quarterback between him and Hudson Card. But, you know, apparently the backstory is Hudson Card's comes from a he comes from a family of Texas boosters, if my memory serves me correctly. Anyway, like his his parents and his family, uh they're all comprised of some pretty significant stakeholders in the University there, of Texas see, athletic interests. You know, that, so kinda, but that doesn't play a role in Texas, boosters and people who give money. That Texas has no. always avoided those problems, right? <laughs> oh, man. No, but it just it does feel like Sark is going to sell the battle between Ewers and Card for as long as possible before he comes out, holds some BS 15-minute press conference to announce the decision and says – well, uh, both guys played excellent football over the course of the fall, but at the end of the day, we were just a little bit more confident in Quinn. Uh, Hudson's an outstanding kid. Uh, he's going to be ready if ever we need to use him, and uh, he's going to be an integral integral part of the game planning throughout the week. Uh, he'll be ready at a moment's notice uh, if his number is called, but Quinn Ewers is our starting quarterback, and everybody listening is going to go, yep, yeah, well, we, we knew it all along. You know, that uh, here's the deal. You know who is full of feces with quarterback competitions? Mule Shoe. He tried to sell us Kyler Murray versus Austin Kendall. Kyler Murray is in the National Football League. Isn't Austin Kendall's where? Like Louisiana Tech now? I, no, I mean, he's, he, he played a year at Louisiana Tech. He's out of football yeah, now. He's graduated. That was his last stop, though, at West Virginia and then on to Louisiana Tech. And nothing against Austin Kendall. But Mule Shoe... Again, we knew at that time. I mean, we, but that's kind of a coach's lie, you know, because particularly with the portal, I understand you want to keep guys thinking they have a shot. But look, Austin Kendall had to look at Kyler Murray and go, Really, coach? <laughs> I'm in this. Okay, whatever, dude. So, anyway, the lies of Mule Shoe. I am working on the manuscript right now. Hopefully, I can get a publisher uh, down the road. I, let's see, I have one, two, three four pages of lies that I just thought of. They're right here. You want to write the foreword for that? Parker? I'd be happy to. Okay. I, I feel like you could get somebody higher profile than me to write it, though. Uh, let's see. Who should write the... Uh, how about Spencer Rattler? <laughs> you think he'd write well, the I, foreword? I, yeah, I think he'd be more than willing. Pat Narduzzi. Oh, gosh. You, you know, it, it could be one of those things where it's like you, you, the forward can be like a retrospective that you do with quotes strung together from like 12 different people where they're, they're like laying out the narrative one moment at a time. He's a real son of a Pat Narduzzi, pit football coach. Spencer Rattler. Testimon- yeah. Exactly. Make structure like testimonials. <laughs> yeah. All right. The lies of Mule Shoe. If- if I, I if I can get a good book deal on this and turn it into a movie, that would be awesome. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's break right here. Big Bod Wolf is on the text line. Again, the wolf is howling as usual, 405-651-3439. Air Comfort Solutions text line. Take a quick break. We'll head right to your texts when we get back. And we've got Brandon Drummond away here in about 20 minutes, right here on the Home of Sooner Fans, the Ref Radio Network. Ah, what a great day it was recently. What a great day of karma it was recently when you got this happening at uh, Mule Shoe's office. Hey, Lincoln! It's Mike Bone! Hey, uh, Lincoln, I know, uh, you know, we, we're paying you a lot of money, right? And we promised you this would be an easier path to the playoff. You'd get your uh, L.A. mansion and everything. Uh, there's one thing that that that's changed here, uh, Lincoln, That that's just developed here in the last 24 hours. Uh, you will not be playing a Pac-12 schedule in the very near future. We are we are taking your talents and your roster to the uh, the uh, Big Ten. How do you feel about that? Oh, I wish we could have had a hidden camera there. Who is the dude who used to do the hidden camera? What was Candid Camera? Alan Funt. Wait, if you're as older or older than me, you remember that name. But just to see the look on Mule Shoe's face when that went down. What do you think his face looked like when uh, that was told to him? That, guess what, dude? We're going to the Big Ten. What I do mean, you does think, his partner? face ever change? He really only has one facial expression. True. Do you think he cried, though? Because he hates competition. He does not like hard, stiff competition. He likes the easy I way. Think, would, uh, would he have cried or would he have become incensed? He probably would have been incensed and then as soon as they uh, left the room, uh, probably cried would be my guess. Probably cried. I don't know if I've ever I, – I haven't seen Muleshoe cry. Didn't I've he tear up when he was? To cry. T- I've seen him pretend to cry when, when he was being introduced yes, as USC's head football I, coach. That but. that you're right, but I think he teared up when he got the OU job, right? And uh, all of us fools out there thought that this guy's a sooner man. He's committed, and guess what? He wasn't. But yeah, I did see the uh, the Robert De Niro acting job out at SC, which Lincoln. Uh, why don't you? Uh, Man, this doesn't look good. When when can you mention Oklahoma a couple sentences and then start to uh, cry for just a four or five seconds? That would be great. You know, we do acting out here in Hollywood, so yeah. Not that I'm petty or bitter about it at all. I'm moving through the stages of grief, and guess what? I'm moving at my own pace, a slow pace, slower <laughs> pace. Yes, you are. Like Brent Vittable's recruiting class. I it's going to happen eventually, but it's uh, again. It's going to take some time. And now, of course, everything's breaking for the Sooners in recruiting. So, uh, so anyway, okay, um, let's get back to the text line. Mule Shoe is a piece of freaking dog doo-doo. Okay, that's the first one that came through. Uh, besides LeBlanc and Jacoby Johnson, who is most likely to commit to OU. And I know you're not completely 100% out there, but you think the Sooners feel good about Lewis Carter, the four-star linebacker out of Tampa, Florida, correct? Yeah, well, and again, I'll I'll just throw this out there. I think Lewis Carter is your next commit for Oklahoma. There I think go. that happens a lot sooner than Derek LeBlanc and Jacoby Johnson. 
Yeah, I thought Oklahoma was Oklahoma's class was three star U, right? For a while. Yeah, exactly. Three three star U. So and that's changing. So uh, that's going to be a, a great get for Oklahoma, and uh, they would get him from who was who else was in the running again for Lewis Carter. I saw he had a picture uh, of Georgia also. Was Georgia seriously yeah, there? Georgia, no, Georgia. Well, and I think Georgia's going to get Troy Bowles tomorrow as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the top three for Lewis Carter for some time have been OU, North Carolina, and Auburn, with Florida kind of hanging on the outskirts, present, but not a top consideration. And there was some buzz that Lewis Carter may ultimately end up taking – uh, an unofficial visit back to Florida at the end of the month. But uh, needless to say, at this time, I do not expect that that will happen. All right, so uh, July just keeps looking better for Oklahoma, looking better. And uh, there might you said there might even be maybe one more surprise. We've talked, you've talked a lot about Derek LeBlanc. You think Oklahoma's in really good shape there. Not guaranteed, but you think they're in really good shape. You do think they're in great shape for Jacoby Johnson. You just said that you thought Lewis Carter would be a Sooner by the end of the weekend. And is there a fourth out there perhaps in the next week? Another one, an outlier. Uh, eh, potentially. I mean, I, I here's the thing. Outside of the potential of Lewis Carter committing, which I do think happens pretty soon, uh, if not imminently, I think the rest are probably going to come at the very end of the month once everybody gets on campus at Oklahoma for the party in the Palace the final weekend of July. So obviously Derek LeBlanc is dropping on the 28th. Right now, I don't think there will be another commitment save for potentially Lewis Carter's between now and uh, the day that Derek LeBlanc announces. But... That could kick off another little mini spree for Oklahoma because once LeBlanc announces, uh, which is pretty much exactly concurrent with the next big visit weekend for OU, you can see a lot more decisions fall in favor of Oklahoma. And again, I'm not just talking about the 2023 class here. There's a chance you get some 2024 pickups early in the process as well. Number one class in the country. The Sooners, uh, even though Dalen Smothers' commitment came yesterday, four-star running back out of Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, the Sooners are still 11th in the 247 team rankings right now, but a chance to keep moving up. And uh, it looks like by, you know, by the time we get in here on Monday that Oklahoma could very well be in the top 10. There's a really good shot at that happening. Notre Dame has the number one class in the country right now. Notre Dame followed by Ohio State number two, Clemson three, Texas at number four. Now, one of those commitments for Notre Dame is Peyton Bowen. And I know you've talked a lot about the possibility of Oklahoma flipping him down the stretch. Denton Geyer, Jackson Arnold, Denton Geyer. Uh, are you still feeling pretty confident about that? Where are you on Peyton Bowen in Oklahoma down the, down the stretch? Well, I, I feel pretty good about not only Peyton Bowen, but uh, Ryan Yates as well. Uh, who's also a four-star defensive back out of Denton Geyer. Look, I think there's a very good chance Oklahoma ends up flipping both of them. I I would bet good money that OU goes one for two between those two, but I think there's also a very solid chance they end up with both. So I would continue to monitor that situation. Yates will be on campus at the end of the month. And uh, I'll say this, if you got 
Yates on campus, you got Jackson Arnold on campus, there's a very good chance Peyton Bowen ends up showing up too. That's just my gut on the situation. So we'll obviously see how things transpire, and uh, you will be able to get Brandon Drum's read on it here uh, coming up on the other side of the break. Uh, but I th- I think things are poised to move favorably in Oklahoma's direction with both of the two Den Geyer defensive backs. All right, Josiah Wagner, question from the 918. Yes. Feel good for OU. Yeah, I, I, yes, yes. And that's as simply as I can put it. Uh, things, things look to be moving uh, in favor of Oklahoma in that one as well. And if they can sustain the momentum – I think they have an opportunity to eventually sign a cornerback class that includes Jacoby Johnson, Josiah Wagner, and Makari Vickers, all of whom are four-star top 200 national prospects. All right, and one more real quick before we get to a break. we got Brandon Drum coming up in the next segment. Off the Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. Do you guys think Muleshoe's recruits are recognizing them losing out on O-line and D-line recruits? Chase and OKC. What do you think? I mean, I, here, here, here's the deal, and I hate to beat a dead horse here, but I brought it up a bunch this week. I'm going to bring it up again. Recruiting just got a lot harder for USC, and that has to do with the move to the Big Ten because you have to consider it from the perspective of a college student, right? You're going to spend a lot of time traveling throughout the fall. Those are going to be four-hour flights to road games. You're going to be jet-lagged week after week after week. And really the only road game that you can play in the Big Ten that's in remotely close proximity to your campus is UCLA at the Rose Bowl, right? So that's going to come into play. And as I've said, I've had conversations with prospects who are slash were considering USC, and it's something that they're cognizant of. It is not something that uh, moves the needle more in USC's favor in their recruitments because – they're mindful of the fact that there is so much travel on the horizon if they choose to be USC Trojans. So, I know that's not exclusive. I know it's not specifically exclusive to offensive linemen and defensive linemen. But if there's one thing we do know about Muleshoe, he's very good at building seven-on-seven teams. Not so great at building complete football teams. This is par for the course for him. And also, with the move to the Big Ten on the precipice, in general. Recruiting is going to be more difficult than he ever anticipated it would be at the University of Southern California. And that's good news. That is really good news. I like hearing that. All right. We're going to break right here. Thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. X72 for a car truck or SUV. They've got a great selection and that incredible guarantee again after the sale. Great service after the sale and a great guarantee. Oil changes, engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. That's a heck of a deal. All right. When we get back, we'll talk more recruiting. See what Brandon Drum thinks about the Sooners Hall and what's on the way for Oklahoma. We'll do that next right here on The Ref. Mike Seeley, Parker Thune, Connor Pasby running the show. We're trying to get a hold of Brandon. Uh, he could be – who knows where Brandon could be. He is a man uh, that that is all around every place. You never know where Brandon's going to be. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to get Brandon on. Brandon on. Uh, here's another one. Uh, Ohio State or any other Big Ten school has the same travel times, too. Yes. 
but it's totally different based on where Ohio State is right now and where USC is. That's from Kendall on the air yeah, conversation. Think about line. it this way. Think about it this way. At most, if you're another Big Ten team, at most you have to make that kind of trip twice a year. Right, yeah. And that's presuming you have a road game with USC and a road game with UCLA in the same year. So realistically, you only ever have to make that trip probably once, probably once in a given year. For USC and UCLA, if they're going on the road, Mm. they have to make that trip five or six times because every single road game they're going to play is up in the mid-Atlantic region. I love it. I love it. All right, 405 uh, on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Samuel just posted, I guess he's talking about Samuel Masigo, uh, just posted three locks. Who do you think they are? I, I think we probably already talked about them, but Parker, you want to answer uh, that? Yeah, uh, I, I, I would say uh, for those that have been listening over the course of the first hour and a half of this show, uh, it shouldn't be too hard to connect the dots. And honestly, uh, for those that follow recruiting, for those that subscribe over at OUinsider.com uh, on the 24-7 Sports Network, believe me, uh, it's it's certainly not very hard to connect the dots uh, if you've been staying up to date with all the happenings in the world of Oklahoma recruiting over the last few weeks. Because I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this much. Those three locks will publicly announce their commitments within the next three weeks. Uh, let's go. Uh, we can give initials. How about LC? How about DB? How about JJ? Does that work? Uh, I, who is who would DB refer to? Oh, DL. I'm sorry. DL. 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 My bad. Uh, uh, no, no comment. Okay. Should we make uh, the text or run stadium steps after the show since we mentioned it three three times already? Uh, no, it's okay. It's not August yet. Okay, I can get Jerry Schmidt out there, hopefully, and make him run at least a few rows of stadium steps. Yeah, no, stadium steps. We're, we're, we're not going to start getting into in-season form until August. That's when the rubber meets the road. I got you. And I'm just messing with the people on the so, – because somebody's going, way to go, Steely. You know, it's sarcasm. I'm just saying uh, pretty much – 98% of it. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. Where is Oklahoma State in the national rankings? Uh, the Cowboys, last I saw, were down somewhere in the 52-54 range, I think it was. Uh, Oklahoma State, let me see here. I can grab Let me go ahead and Google it up. Or I two, am one step ahead of you two, here, four, Mike. Seven, 54. 54. And, yeah, but – Virginia is 53, and Washington State is 55. I mean, Oklahoma State has always, uh, you know, what is the highest-ranked Oklahoma State class you can remember since you've been doing this? Oh, gosh. I think their class last year has to be up there simply by virtue of the fact that Talon Shetron and his presence in the class uh, probably helped uh, way, uh, make it a little bit top-heavy. Almost. They had the number 35 class last year. They had the number 34 class the year before that, and that includes Kendall Daniels, who originally signed with Texas A&M before he was released from his NLI. Uh, 2020, they had the number 37 class. So, obviously, as you go back, 
year after year. Uh, some pretty remarkable consistency. 2019, they had the number 39 class. So 35 to 40 seems to be right where Oklahoma State uh, and, and 34 in 2018. So, yeah, that 30 to 40 range is about what, where you will see Oklahoma State every year. Yeah, and uh, that's why if how many uh, stadium steps could I run before fainting? Probably about five, particularly in this weather. I wouldn't even attempt it in this weather. Can't do it. No way. Not when you're approaching 60. As I said, my commitment ceremony to a 55-plus independent living center is happening. It won't, it's not too far away. So uh, I, I, I haven't narrowed my list of places down, but I can tell you I'm, uh, the, they're crystal balling me to the Carlstone again. So that's what we're looking at. Uh, so anyway, what, that just took my mind off what I was going to ask you, and it was a brilliant question. Absolutely brilliant, and I cannot remember. It must have been so brilliant that it blew my mind. Yeah, um, those, those brilliant questions, those are no, those I, are the ones that are the toughest when you space on them. I know. Well, okay, Mike Gundy, I talked about this the other day. If I'm Mike Gundy, and I know Mike, look, Mike Gundy was kidding sort of when he said, I wouldn't even let OU Texas into the meetings, and he had a point on that, you know. But at the same time, if I'm Mike Gundy, I don't want to play Oklahoma. And you can talk about, well, don't you want to compete against the best or whatever, okay? If you're Mike Gundy, you have done the best job in school history. And Oklahoma State, Pat Jones, I know it didn't end well for Coach Jones, but there was a time when he, Pat Jones was coaching him up. Jimmy Johnson was there for a while. Uh, Les Miles did a really good job at Oklahoma State. But you know what? Mike Gundy's done the best job there of anybody. Oklahoma State's a really good program, but they are in the shadow of Oklahoma. They'll always be in the shadow of Oklahoma to a certain extent, but that shadow won't be as large when Oklahoma goes to the SEC. And what does Mike Gundy have to hear all the time? Well, you know, it won the most ever, whatever, but, you know, what is he now, 3-15 and 15 or whatever it is against OU, I've lost count after winning last year. So – uh, I I don't know if I'm Mike Gundy. I'm like I'm happy to get away from having to deal with Godzilla every year. And even if you have a great team, you're almost always going to be an underdog to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma State has closed the gap somewhat. And I'm talking more about not necessarily wins on the field versus the Sooners, even though it did happen last year and Mule was checked out at that time. But facilities and other things, Oklahoma State's made some pretty good strides. What do you think, Parker? I mean, um. I, I just don't see how, as Mike Gundy said, how Bedlam can, can continue um, unless somehow, some way, these conferences go to the SEC decides we're going to go to 20 or 22 teams or 24, and maybe Oklahoma State finally gets an invite, you know, um, because I don't think it would be in the Big Ten because of their academic snootiness. But what do you think? If you're Mike Gundy, would you want to play Oklahoma, or would you think that this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, man? I don't have to mess with OU anymore. Yeah, I think at this point, if you're Oklahoma State, you have to embrace the post-Bedlam era because we are headed in that direction where the Bedlam rivalry will cease to exist, at least on an annual or even semi-regular basis. Um, And that, for Oklahoma State, I think is more of a blessing than a curse the more I've thought about it, just because you look at the record in the rivalry, right, 90-19 to 19 in favor of Oklahoma. Most years you can pencil in an L uh, on Bedlam weekend for Oklahoma State. Historically speaking, that is the norm. And it it's going to provide an opportunity for you to make a clean break. 
All right, once Oklahoma's off to the SEC, you let that rivalry uh, find its way out the door, and then you welcome in a series with a new rival, essentially of your choice, right? And it has to make some sense geographically and in terms of the distaste between the fan bases. I don't know if there is a natural rival that you would select for Oklahoma State outside of OU. Uh, I think they've had some phenomenal games over the last five or so years with Baylor. I wonder if that becomes a bit of a rivalry series, although Baylor and TCU already kind of have their deal. Uh, Maybe it's a team like Texas Tech, for instance, because, I mean, when you're talking about the Big 12 schools, I don't know if there are two schools that are as ag as Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. So that rivalry would make a lot of sense. At the end of the day, uh, you just have to get with the times at this point if you're Oklahoma State and acknowledge the fact that uh, you're not keeping Bedlam around. You're going to lose it. And it's how you respond in the aftermath and how you position your football program going forward uh, to exist and learn to exist, learn to operate out of Oklahoma's shadow now that you're in a different conference. And I'll be curious to see uh, what the new rivalry series for Oklahoma State ends up becoming. I guess in all technicality, they have that rivalry series with Tulsa, even though nobody really takes it seriously. Uh, Maybe they start – they already do play that every year, right? But maybe they start uh, putting an increased degree of fervor into that series as opposed to Bedlam. All right, as we go to a break, uh, interesting thought from the Air Comfort Solutions text line from the 405. Mike Gundy is a really good coach and would be a great personality in the SEC. He should have taken the Tennessee job back in the day. <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah, Mike Gundy, you know, and he, he's made some missteps, obviously, in some of the things that he said. Anytime you get involved in politics, and look, I've done it stupidly before, you're, ne- you're always immediately going to have half of your audience or half of the people that uh, support you coming after you. That's just the nature of it. But uh, Mike Gundy, he's never boring, I can tell you that, and he's a good football coach. All right, we'll break right here. Thank you again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Falls Valley Exit 72 for a great deal on a car, truck, or SUV and a great guarantee. Oil changes and engines. I've killed both of them. Well, I killed the engine because of not doing the oil changes, so I needed this guarantee a long time ago. Oil changes and engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no extra cost to you. We'll be right back here in the ref. We are wrapping it up here on Steelman and Thune at noon, almost to uh, straight up 2 o'clock, and uh, that is when we'll get locked in with uh, Parker and Tyler McComas. Lock into some great promotions out at Riverwind. We have a great new one for July. You want to know about the top five players who earn the highest number of points on specified e-game machines, and they will point you in the direction of those machines uh, at Riverwind. I was in the uh, walk through the south entrance the other day, had a meeting over there. There they were. Boom, you can see them, and uh, there are other machines out there as well that you can be playing on, and they'll direct you right to them. Why do you want to play those e-game machines? Because if you earn the highest number of points on those specified e-game machines and you're in the top five, you're going to win a trip to the Florida Keys for a fishing trip, guided uh, fishing trip valued at nearly $5,500. Plus, you're going to win $2,000 in bonus play, and you'll receive $1,000 in cash. Don't forget, they also will have Casting for Cash hot seats 
drawings every Tuesday from 6 to 8.30 p.m. And tomorrow, tomorrow, hot seat drawings for the Casting for Cash promotion as well from 12 to 5 o'clock. So from noon to 5 tomorrow out at Riverwind. They're doing some remodeling out there, by the way. Uh, You're going to see some uh, areas that are curtained off. But they have new gaming areas in the Showplace Theater in the sky bridge and the river lounge so all the machines are still there some of them have been relocated but uh you still have a chance to get out there win all those jackpots and again in the casting for cash promotion if you're in the top five and this promotion runs from now until july 30th if you earn in the top five points on these specified e-game machines, you can win a trip. You would win a trip to the Florida Keys, that fishing trip. Again, the guided uh, fishing trip valued at nearly $5,500 plus $2,000 in bonus play and uh, $1,000 in cash. Heck of a deal from our friends at Riverwind Casino. All right, on the Air Comfort Solutions tax line, if Oklahoma State does end up getting an invite to the SEC, they have to decline it based on what their president said. They have no choice but to decline it. Did you hear that? First of all, I don't think Oklahoma State's getting an invite anytime soon unless there is, you know, if we if we end up going to two power conferences with 24 teams each, uh, I think Oklahoma State absolutely, you know, would be a good pickup for the SEC. There's no doubt. But I haven't heard why. Why did I didn't hear what Dr. Shrum had to say about having to decline it. I. Did you, yeah, I, Parker? I didn't either. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that was a thing. Yeah, I, maybe I'm just out of the loop on all things pokes, but uh, yeah, that's news to me too. Yeah, and then you know, I don't know. Talking about the grant of rights or whatever to 2025, you know, uh, these things can change, right? Do you think their ACC schools are going to continue to honor the grant of rights deal to 2035? Probably not. Probably not, particularly yeah, if you're no, Clemson or, you know, it's, it's there's all there's always a way out if you're willing to pay the price. Right. Correct. It seems I mean, to me it's these things are so fluid these days. No one's word means anything anymore because the almighty dollar runs college football. Right. We're seeing that more and more and more. And so, uh, yeah, the grant of rights lasting till 2035. To me, that matters not at all, because. So much is subject to change uh, depending on what kind of money is on the table, whether that's in the SEC or elsewhere. All right, real quick, we've only got – I'll let you answer this in 30 seconds. What positions will athletes McCarty and McIntyre play at OU from Boomer Brady? Yeah, so the plan is to start McIntyre out at tight end with the opportunity to move back to the defensive side. Uh, if there isn't a clear path to playing time at the tight end position, McIntyre's a guy that can play either side of the football with equal aplomb. So uh, he's got some versatility in that regard, even once he gets to the collegiate level. Eric McCarty's going to be a safety. And much like McIntyre, he's a guy that can play all over, but his highest ceiling is in the defensive secondary. He will be a safety at the University of Oklahoma. All right, and I can remember some other athletes even back in the day playing for Coach Schwitzer who came uh, from other positions, Sonny Brown, David Vickers, guys like that who became pretty good players at those spots. All right, we got to get out of here. Parker is uh, hanging around. He's got another hour. He'll get locked in with Tyler coming up here in about five minutes. Connor, great job. Everybody have a great weekend. Thank you for all the texts, and we'll see you again on Monday. Take care.